All right, you guys, we're going to be doing a, a Q&A tonight. We're taking a break from our series in Revelation. We just we finished the first chapter before our Thanksgiving break. And I was planning on doing um, two more sermons through Revelation uh, this month before we get to our time off for our Christmas party, which will be in two weeks from now. And then we're having the rest of the month off for the holiday. But with the new foster baby, the newborn that we have at the house, and we're just too exhausted, too many things going on. So tonight we're going to be doing a Q&A, and hopefully I have enough presence of mind to try to answer these questions according to what the Word says. And that's what, how we typically do these things. You guys have submitted your questions, and we'll do our best to answer them according to what uh, God's Word says. And it doesn't have to be just me talking. It could be discussion. Hopefully, you know, if the leaders have an, some good insight, they're welcome to speak up. And, you know, if there's more discussion that needs to happen based off of the question, we could do that as well too, okay? So let's pray, and then um, we'll get to the questions. And just so you know, again, we'll get back to uh, Revelation starting the second week in January, because that's when we'll come back after the holiday. Next week will be something different as well. Uh, we just won't be in that, but um, not sure. Next week will be a next week. Will there'll be something here? There'll be a guest speaker next week. Yeah. Thank you, Valerie. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, to be all glory. And we are grateful that you are perfectly wise, that there's nothing that you don't know, and that you have given to us your holy word so that we may know what it is that you are like and what it is that you desire. We know it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, and that it that the man of God may be complete. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the type of people who continually have questions. Lord, none of us here has everything figured out. Certainly not, Lord. You are too too vast, too great for us to fully comprehend. And so we pray that you would help us to be meek and help us to look to your word to form our worldview and to form the basis of knowledge about the way we think of all of life. God, we need you, Holy Spirit, this night. And so we ask for strength and wisdom that Christ may be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so put this here. First question. If God knew Adam was going to sin, why didn't he do something? Not that he made a mistake. So, careful question, right? I mean, it's not that he made a mistake. So, I appreciate the, uh, the plea for carefulness there, not wanting to attribute any wrongdoing on God's behalf. There is something in the question that maybe we could clean up a little bit, is if God knew Adam was going to sin, well, we do know that God knows all things, right? He, everything happens according to the counsel of his, of his will, Ephesians 1.11. So God certainly knew that Adam was going to sin. So the question is, why didn't he do something? <clears throat> well, the revelation of Scripture like we can maybe even think of just John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life. And so the reason that we would say that God in his wisdom permitted Adam to sin was so that there would be a people who was redeemed by the work of the son. And if we think of uh, Romans chapter 5, especially beginning at verse 12, really if you think about the book of Romans, you could break it up into three categories. Um, 
guilt, grace, and then gratitude. And so the first portion of Romans deals with the section of guilt. So it deals with the fall of man and the reason why we needed Jesus to come. And the second portion, really beginning around chapter 9, is when it really focuses in on it. The grace of God in providing the Savior, and then gratitude, how we live, uh, basically Romans 12 on. But in that section on guilt, it explains how Jesus is the second Adam and how all who are in Christ will live, but all who are in Adam died. And so there's, there's the intention of God and what we would call the pactum salutis or the covenant of redemption in which God purposed, even before the creation of the world, to save people in, in, um, for, for the Son as, an, as his own inheritance, right? And Ephesians 1 talks about this, right? We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Uh, Ephesians 1, I think 4 says. So all of that was God's intent, his plan, so that he would be glorified. And I think we've talked about this before, where we've said that if it didn't happen this way, if God just simply set up a world in which Adam was placed in the garden and there was never any sin and he never had to redeem anybody, then God's creation, which mankind, we would know less of God because we wouldn't know of his grace and his mercy. And we only know of his grace and his mercy because of the plan of salvation. Now, I know that's kind of hard to take in in the sense that we know there's also people who aren't going to be saved, but we trust God's wisdom. We know that he is doing good and doing what is right. And so uh, we thank him for the salvation that we have. But sometimes I think it's been called in the Latin, the Felix culpa. It means a fortunate fall, that if Adam didn't fall, then we wouldn't know about salvation and redemption in Christ. And so that seems to be um, the reasoning as to why he would have decreed for Adam to sin in the garden. Any other questions, comments? Okay. Couldn't God just snap and we'd all be in heaven and the devil would be gone? Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's not Thanos, huh? He doesn't have to snap. He doesn't have the Infinity Stones. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, God spoke all the world to existence, right? So he does things in certain ways. But the point being, not that he would just snap and do it. I think the point being just that he could do it in an instant, right? And and the reality is is true. He could do that if he wants. But there is a problem with that. I mean, because it says, unless you mean by weed all, if you just mean all those who are believers, all those who are in Christ, because there is a sense in which, you know, when Christ comes back with the... Uh, what does it say? Like a like a bolt of lightning, or it almost says like it almost it's almost like with a snap. It's a um, no, that's Thanos. What? That's what we said that. Yeah, um, I, I think it's in Second Thessalonians. I'm blanking on it right now, but um, or in the blink of an eye, in the blink of an eye. Um, so it's similar to a snap, similar type of language. Um. Christ comes back and, you know, there's going to be, and I don't know, I don't know exactly how the details of this will, I'll have to think about it more as we go through Revelation, but when there's going to be the, you know, the, on Christ's return, the judgment of the wicked and the, you know, just and the 
final justification of those who are united to Christ. Um, and, you know, in a blink of an eye, in that sense, you know, the new the new creation will be ushered in and we'll be all those who are united to Christ of faith will all be part of that new creation, the new heavens and new earth, love new bodies and everything as well. And those people who are already in heaven that are existing without their body right now, which is hard to say exactly what heaven is at this point. Is it like a physical world? I mean, is, is it a world somewhere? I don't, I can't say what certainly the Bible doesn't actually say. Um, is it just some place in space where, but basically you have these souls without bodies, people who are saved that are with God but they're not going to have their body into the new creation. And so it's going to happen in the blink of an eye. We read about in the New Testament talks about it. And the devil's not going to be gone. The devil and all of those who hate God will be not gone, but casted to hell. It'll be everlasting hell. The, so I, I, met, I'm sorry, I think they're in hell right now. So hell being the counterpart to heaven. And then at that time at Christ's coming, Hell and the uh, the beast, as I think is what Rose says, will be cast into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is that eternal hell, essentially. Um, and so hell will be put in bigger hell. It's a, kind of what it sounds like, but we'll deal with that eventually in Revelation, actually. We'll have to think about it more closely. Um, but yeah, so I, so all people that have ever existed or will exist will continue to exist either in heaven or hell and you know people that are going to be with the devil in hell will have bodies as well i think there's there's nothing for us to assume that they're not going to have a a body as well i think a physical body that'll be suffering as well too they're not it's not going to be a glorified body but it will be a a body nevertheless so good question we don't know when it's going to happen right uh I would always like to think that it's going to happen whenever the last person that was chosen in Christ for the foundation of the world, when that person receives Christ, that's when Christ will return. But until then, uh, we try to serve God by preaching the gospel and telling people of God's good law so that people might see their sin and repent and trust Christ. So that's how um, God set up this world to exist. Yeah, so that's, I mean, there is like those ministry organizations that I think exist, like to translate the Bible to every tongue so that they're, and in their, in their mindset, they're thinking that they're going to usher in the return of Christ. And because then everybody will have quote unquote heard. I don't know. But then they would know Exactly. And that would kind of tell you, like, if, if you if everyone had the Bible in their language, then you could try to pinpoint that. But who's to say? Uh, it, it's not important for us to get weighed down with those 200 details. Our job is simply to live now, to glorify God and to enjoy Him, and to you know seek to obey Him. Not because we obeying Him is going to make us right in His sight, but because it's our joy to. And so that's where we should really focus. Are you against the Lord's Supper because it shows Christ? I'm not against the Lord's Supper at all. Um, I don't know who wrote this. <laughs> yeah, so it is a it is a picture of Christ, right? His body and his blood. But so when I say that I'm against 
something that shows I like maybe this is a comment maybe this was somebody who was here Sunday evening because Steve made a comment about an illustration and he thought that he said he he was jokingly saying that he wouldn't do want to do it to make me upset but I'm just I think that images of God are I know that images of God are a, com, a second commandment violation but a picture of Christ in the Lord's Supper is not a second commandment violation the Lord's Supper is a sacrament or an ordinance that Jesus himself set up for the church to do to remind us of the gospel and the benefits that we have in it. Isn't it an image of God, though? It's not an image of God in the sense that, like, it's not a painting or a statue. It's not a painting, the Lord's Supper. It's a painting via... between the Lord's Supper and the Last Supper. Not the the painting, the Da Vinci painting or whatever? Two different things. Oh, is it, did it say the Last Supper? No, it's the Lord's Supper. So you mean like, I think it's Da Vinci, right? Where it's like they're all sitting, they're all at a table, a super long table. And then he's just. But like that this. does show Christ. That's what I thought it was. Because it... there's a picture of Jesus there. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I would, I don't have a picture of that in my house. I understand why it was made or whatever. By the way, did you guys put a invite card from Fellowship Church in my house? Did you guys leave that? Somebody did. It was horrible too. I'll save it for something else. That's something the Graves would do. So, anyways, hopefully that makes sense. I, I, Adam, I don't think the the Lord's Supper is an image of Christ. I mean, it is something that we partake of with our eyes. Same with baptism. Right, baptism is what's wrong with Fellowship Church? No, oh, this is a surprise question. Uh, Fellowship Church is lightweight prosperity gospel. They don't preach the actual gospel. They do horrible. They have no true church membership. They last I heard there was um. They are fine with people who are practicing homosexuals, even serving in leadership at their church. It's just yeah, it's very emotion driven, and. It's not substantial preaching of the whole counsel of God. Yeah. So the the track that was at my house was just God loves you just as you are or something like that. Or no strings no strings attached. God loves you. Well, that's just so bad. Why repent from your sin if God loves you? No strings attached. Why trust Christ if God loves you? No strings attached. Well. You need to be redeemed. You need to be saved. So that's just a really bad gospel track. Yeah, John? It's like Benny Hinn? <laughs> no. It, they don't get that wild, at least on Sunday mornings that I know of, at least. <laughs> but on Wednesday nights, man. We, hey, we did that one time. You were there. Yeah. We walked in one time, and uh, so I did. I took some college students one time to it on a Wednesday or a Tuesday night, I think. Well, we, didn't, we didn't even have. Oh no, it was Sunday evening service. We didn't even have a pastor. It was just it was literally just a recorded video. Yeah, some guy from New Zealand. That was it. Was all about like having money, um, but we walked. It was pre-COVID. We walked in, and there was a. They had like a fog machine going, so I was like, "Was oh, something on fire here or whatever?" We were like uh, messing around with them. But anyways, we could do that again, Jonathan. Just. Yeah. 
And they don't even have any, they have music playing over the baptism. So you don't even actually hear them talking about the person or, or saying, right. Yeah. And then there's no accountability. So there should be members of the church after that point and seeking their maturity. Uh, but there's none of that for them. Yes. Oh, that's another thing too. They have a uh, women pastors, you know. So there's a Sean's wife, Diana, is a pastor. So, well, it's, biblically, it's not, you know, it's not what God instructs. So, there you go. <laughs> yes. All right. With that, we should move on to a question. Oh, this is this isn't a question, but I'll read it just for solidarity's sake of my friend Adam. Before we let Henry go to winter camp, we need to make sure he knows how to get out of a locked car. Shut up! That's very true. <laughs> we do. We do Stop. need to do. <laughs> no. Why does everyone remember this That's going to be someone's going to say that. You've already been This is a really good question. Okay, so it says, "Could anyone's name be taken from the Lamb's Book of Life?" Have you heard of the Lamb's Book of Life before? Talks about um, that, I think maybe in Revelation, actually. Um, so, but it, it's talked about in kind of the way of, um, you know, don't let my name be blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life. So it, it, it poses it in God's word as a possibility that it could happen. But we know from the whole council scripture that it's actually not something that could happen so what it is is because once you are actually saved you can't lose your salvation if you've been chosen to christ for the foundation of the world you can't violate that by sinning too greatly or something like that and and because god's providence wouldn't simply allow you to because god is persevering you he's preserving you he's keeping you he's going to finish the good work that he started in you which i think philippians says if i'm remembering rightly but it's said in that way, or maybe it's in the Psalms. I'm forgetting exactly where, but it, where it talks about the, the book of life and my, a person's name not being blotted out of it. It's a warning passage, right? So there are these countless warning passages in Scripture, even in the New Testament, where people in the New Covenant even are warned about not falling away, not forsaking Christ. And the point is, is that God uses the warning passages like in Hebrews, like the passage that talks about the name being blotted out of the book of life as well, um, for true believers to be convicted so they would repent of their sin and be reminded of the grace and the pardon that they have in Christ. Now, there are obviously people who profess to be Christian, and then they, they do, you know, they don't heed the warnings in Scripture, and they depart from the church. They leave. They at some point you even deny Christ by their actions, or even maybe by by their words. It's very popular today to so-called deconstruct 
your Christian faith. Um, there's podcasts all about it. Popular Christian teachers from years past speak about their deconstructing of their faith. And what that always means in every case is, is what John says. They went out from us because they were never truly of us. So, so a person can't have their name blotted out of the book of life. But the scripture speaks of that so as to warn um, believers and urge them to repentance. And also, you know, because peer, a person who leaves the faith was never actually had their name in the book of life, right? That's what that means. So good question, Isaac. Any comments or questions further? Okay. How do people know God is real? Well, that's a, that's a good question um, because none of us can see God, right? Um, that's how we typically determine if something is real, but that's not always true. I mean, I've never seen my brain yet. I think my, my brain is real. You know, I... Well, you never did I never did a brain scan. No, I'm pretty sure there's more than just rocks up there. Um, but right now, it's just well, let's filled with. That's it. Um, Romans one. Well, I'll go because I'm not. I'm blanking on the exact quotation of the verse. But Romans one says this. Or even think of Acts when um, the apostle. Paul is in Athens, and there's a statue, and at the, um, I forget the exact name of it. Pedestal that says the, to the unknown God. God. Yeah. So there's a sense in which everybody, everybody just simply knows there's a God because everybody is made in God's image. And so what Romans 1 says is this in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, so our sin, our unrighteousness, suppresses this this truth. So for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So how do we know God is real? Well, we simply know, because we are made in his image. The, route, the reason why people doubt it, is true is because of our sin is because of their unrighteousness if you doubt that maybe god's not real if you have if you're having second thoughts about if christianity is true the only reason you think that actually is because of your sin and the thing that you should do is pray for grace at that point and ask god to give you understanding um even uh maybe think of romans 2 actually romans 2 14 or 13 says for it is not the hearers of the law who are right before god but the doers of the law who be justified for when gentiles who do not have the law meaning people who were not the um jewish line you know especially after moses where the law was given to them it says the gentiles who do not have the law by who by nature do what the law requires they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts all their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So the point being is that even people who have never heard the gospel before, even people who have never know about the Ten Commandments, 
Everybody instinctively knows that certain things are true, that you shouldn't kill, that you should love your neighbor uh, if you're being just super general. Um, and the reason for that is because of what theologians have called the law of nature or the light of nature, which is another, it's a fancy way of saying your conscience. Everybody has a conscience. Everybody has a set of morals. And there is differences that happen over time because people sin and their conscience becomes hardened or seared. And so they're allowed to sin with greater capacity. But everyone has this sense of God written upon them because they're made in God's image and the work of the law is written on everyone's heart. So how do we know God is real? How do, how do people know God is real? And it's simply, we can, even the fact that we can ask that question implies God is real because we're rational, able to think. We're, I mean, we're not just some random creation. We're made after the image of God. Yeah, John? Well, okay, that's good. So think about it. every culture worships some sort of a deity. Atheism is a more of a modern development, but even that is just, it's worshiping something. But every, yeah, themselves, you know, I mean, every, think about it, there is a, some sort of a God in every sort of society, even like those, those um, tribal people in the middle of the jungle, they perform sacrifices and offerings. I mean, think about the Aztecs and stuff. They were, you know, slaughtering hundreds of people, babies, you know, in those those Mayan temples and stuff to whatever whoever their god was. So people end up, and think of all the people in the Old Testament in the land of Canaan, all the different national gods that Israel ran into. Like we were going through Judges, I think they listed in one of them, like by Judges fourteen, they listed like seven different national gods who were probably demons actually but all cultures end up worshiping some sort of a deity just goes by a different name you know absolutely can you draw jesus in detail so we can see what he looks like (laughs) um you can't because we don't know what he looks like right we're not i know right uh, we don't. The Bible never tells us what he looks like. Remember, we just went over this kind of in Revelation one, nine to thirteen, especially where it gives us this description of you know the glorified or the exalted Christ. But it wasn't something that we were supposed to see with our eyes. It was supposed. It was something that was supposed to help us understand what he's like, what he, what he does. So we're nowhere are we given in Scripture a physical description of Jesus, because um, that would cause people to stumble. It would. You know, anybody who looked like that physical description would inevitably have a complex. And God never gave us that. The only thing we're told is in Isaiah that he would be of a comely appearance. I mean, he would just, he wouldn't be, you know, beautiful. He's an average guy eh, for all that we know. So, so no, could not draw a picture of Jesus. You can't take the shroud of Turin <laughs> that the Roman Catholics have and, that they say was the shroud that was laid upon him. There's like an imprint of honor. I just, there's no reason for us to believe that's true. So we don't know what he looks like. So anything that you draw of Jesus, which we've all seen pictures of Jesus, that is a figment of someone's imagination. 
right? That is essentially making a God after their own image. It's whatever they think. So, and if you look across different cultures, again, I mean, even like if you look in China, Africa, uh, you know, Germany, Romania, they all have artists in those cultures have all drawn a so-called picture of Jesus Christ who looks just like they do. Yeah, essentially. So, and he was, you know, what we should think is Jesus when he was on the earth looked like any, you know, an average, what we would say today, a Palestinian or Israeli male. No, he didn't. Who is a theologian? So everyone actually is a theologian. Um, I think R.C. Sproul has a book that's called Everyone's a Theologian. The point is, though, every, you're, either you're a good theologian or you're a bad theologian, right? And so we should all strive and hope to be good theologians. Um, a good theologian would be someone who takes God's word seriously and is humble and um, wants to take God at his word and not make excuses for it. So... But everyone is a theologian. A theologian is just someone who studies God. And again, everyone does that. Even the person who's an atheist, they do it. They just, they're just really bad theologians, right? Because their, their assumption is, oh, God doesn't exist. That's just a really bad theologian. They're still thinking about God. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, this one's folded very small. Uh, when will the world end? When will God make a new earth? And there's an old earth, and then there's a new earth that looks exactly the same, except for it's shining like the sun <laughs> around it. Uh, so to try to answer, I thought it said that. No, I'm just describing it. There's an image. There's a picture there. Not an image of Christ. So this is okay. This is all right. Uh, so yeah, it's worth thinking even when will the world end because the world's not going to end. It's, it'll be, you know, maybe we say like remade, like how Peter speaks of it. But that'll happen when Jesus comes again. It's the fancy theological term is the parousia, right? If you hear someone talk about the parousia, it just means the second coming. It means the second coming of Christ. Jesus came once to inaugurate his kingdom. He's coming again to consummate it. And to finally defeat uh, death at that point. I don't have a date for you. So people speculate all kinds of weird things. Even like really sound people like Jonathan Edwards speculated a date. There's an interesting theory right now that I could tell you guys about, I guess. That, you know, some people look at the, you know, that verse which says, with the Lord, um, one day is like a thousand years. And so people think, okay, well, maybe... You know, it's been 6,000 years now since things were created. And so now maybe the the creation week, six days and seven days a day of rest. Well, maybe when the at the end of this 6,000th year, whenever that is exactly, then Christ will return. But you just, and you, won't know you don't know. We don't know exactly. We don't, yeah, we don't know. And so you just, the problem is too, is like you can't look around and say, oh, like right now we look at our world and our world is really crazy and bad. It's more hectic. It's more anti-Christian for our culture than it ever has been. 
I mean, there's, there's literally things happening in our society right now that are very similar to the types of things that happened during the Apostle John's life when he wrote Revelation, when he received that apocalyptic vision. Even even things that are similar to the mark of the beast. Um, but does that mean that Jesus is soon going to return? Well, it's, it's not as hard to say because these types of things have been happening since Jesus, as his ascension. So and we'll, t- we'll deal with this in Revelation when we get to it as well. If I invite my friend to church and they don't want to go, am I a bad Christian? Well, of course you are. Yeah, exactly. It's totally up to you. No, not at all. Invite your friend. I mean, it's not up to you to, for them to say, or for you to make them say yes or no, but. You got to tie them up, throw them in the back of the trunk, gag them. Can't force them to be Christian. Can't force them to come. Time to check. It's not the worst thing if you could. Yeah, Sam, you're creeping me out, bro. So. <laughs> like, what if you but maybe the underlying thing about that question is your friends should know you're a Christian. So, you know, your friends, the fact that you go to church shouldn't be something that you're hiding from people. So invite your friends to church. You know, that's where they would hear the word of God preached. That is the primary means of grace by which God grows believers and saves people. So invite them. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. How many times have people said no and then they finally will say yes? You know, even even if you invite your friend and they've said, no, I don't want to come, just continue to invite them. You guys want to save some of these or do you want to keep going? Uh, there's a good amount. There's a good amount. How about there's like 10 left. How about we save them? And then that'd be fine. If you guys want to finish these up next week, you'll have to record it because I won't be here because I'll be at home with the baby. I'm very tired today. Even. Well, we'll let. All right. Well, that's on the rec- that's on that's on the recording. That's on the recording. All right, guys. Well, let's pray. Good job with those questions tonight. It's good to ask questions. Remember from our Sunday school lesson this past Sunday, Jesus was roughly your age. He was twelve. And he was in the temple asking questions of the teachers. And so it's it's good to ask questions. We want to, by God's grace, be the type of Christians who always have questions because we realize that we still need to grow. I'm speaking of myself as well. Um, so let's pray, and we'll figure out something to do next. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the time that we're able to have, and we pray that you would help us to know you better, Lord. And there's, you're so good to know, and there is so much that is great about you that is hard for us to understand, but that which we can understand, we pray for grace that we may be able to, to know you as you have revealed yourself so that we may love you all the more. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.